would invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 17. We're just going to look at the one verse, Luke chapter 17 and verse 32. says, remember Lot's wife. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this time to be able to unpack your word and allow it to enter our minds, just to mull it over, think it through, and see the implications for our own life. I pray that this would be a sermon that would impact us, that it would, um, that that we would sense your grace through these things, and Lord, help us to examine our own faith, to see authentic, genuine, real faith. Lord, I pray that you would work through your word at this time, and we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, in preparation to looking to Abraham, the father of our faith. And we will get back to Genesis. I I wanted to, since we had had just finished the story of Lot and his wife, I have to come to this little, three little words here in Scripture and, and kind of unpack this just in preparation so that we can have a clearer understanding of faith and what faith is, and how important faith is to us. Now, last week we started, we saw in Ruth's life, she was a a wonderful example of faith, but her faith and, and, and true, genuine faith was at the very core of who she was. It, it drove her. It was her whole life was giving, given over to following after God, the God of Israel, and this godly family that she was, she knew and she was attached to. But in general, that's what faith is, isn't it? It's at the very core of who we are. It's not just an, an add-on, but it's something that we believe in, something that drives us, someone that we believe in. And, and it becomes a lifestyle. You cannot say, well, I, I have faith in this, but have a different lifestyle. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't work. Then you're not really being truthful with yourself. It's a, it's a belief system. It's a way of life. Everything revolves around that, that what, what you believe in. Now, most of the time, we believe in ourselves. We just put faith and trust in our own understanding. That's the popular view today. That's what's popular is, is just trust yourself, trust your gut instinct, trust your heart. That's what we're being told. And, and, and we do trust. We, we trust the government. We trust the banking system. We trust the doctors. We, we do trust other things. We live by faith in something. And we're called in Scripture to live by faith in God alone. We trust Him. We do not lean on our own understanding. But we're also told in Scripture to examine our own faith. Examine. It's a heart condition. We have to to look because Scripture talks about vain faith or a dead faith that was mentioned in the passage that was was read for us. 
for us. An empty faith. A faith that does not work. Just an outward profession. Not a real, genuine faith. And we're to test ourselves then for for that. And what do we look for? We look for evidence. Evidence of genuine faith. Is there enough? So we, we look at Scripture, we look at our life and evaluate, and we ask the question, is there enough evidence in my life that points to a, a real faith, a living faith, a living hope, as Peter says. Now, it's, it's more than just a profession. It drives us. It's a whole heart given over to the Lord. And it's a heart issue, right? So we have to look inward into the heart for evidence. Is that faith genuine? Is that faith there? Now, you can pretend You can fool a lot of people, but you have to look at the evidence in your own heart. And if there's no evidence, there's no faith. That's what we see in Scripture. James's point, no evidence, no faith, no faith, no salvation. So it's pretty serious. We better get this right. So what evidence do we look for? We looked last week at genuine faith of, of Ruth. And like I said, a wonderful example. The first, uh, the, these three, let me give you these to you that we looked at last week. Genuine faith is marked by the, the things that is, that it rejects. Ruth rejected her old lifestyle, an old culture, her own people, her family, her gods, her way of life, the sinful way of life. She, she rejected that to follow this, this godly family that she, uh, she knew. Her mother-in-law. Things were not going well, but she knew this is the thing that I had to do. And she rejected. And faith is like that. It rejects certain things. Sinful things. Number two, genuine faith is marked by a commitment to God that results in a pursuit after God. That's what we look for. It's a commitment that results in a pursuit of the things of God. That's what we see in, in Scripture. And we looked at those things back in the fall, if you remember back. A love for God, a love for God's Word, a love for God's people, the things of God, love for God's church. It's a very active thing. It's a pursuing after these things. Number three, a mark of genuine faith is uh, has endurance. Or is endurance. And it's a faith that overcomes. Because it's a supernatural faith. It's something that is given to us by God Himself. It's, it's from above. And so it, it, it has the power to overcome when normal, uh, overcome normal situations and circumstances. The supernatural faith shows itself to be incredible. And Ruth, I, I keep saying, Ruth is a wonderful example. She had given her whole life over to this, this, Following God. She loved the Lord her God with all of her heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's the whole idea. This family, she began to follow them. She knew that this was the the truth. She knew that she had come in contact with a true and living God. And that was the contact. She had to drop everything else and follow. She knew that she had to do that. that. That was just within her. That drove her. That's that's genuine faith. That's the kind of faith that we see in Scripture. It's biblical faith. Now, I want to turn our attention to Lot's wife. 
the faith of Lot's wife. Because it's good for us to see the opposite sometimes so we can compare and contrast and see, okay, this is what genuine faith looks like, but it's not like this. And that's what I want us to see. And I want us to see this big picture so that we can look at Abraham's faith and and be able to critique it for what it really is. The genuine faith. And, And Christ, I point this out because Christ is commanding this. Christ wants us to look at this. He says to remember Lot's wife. As though we are in danger of forgetting Lot's wife. Keep it in the forefront of your mind. Don't forget it. Remember Lot's wife. It it should loom large like like a big memorial. Like you go to Washington, D.C. and you see all of these memorials. So that we can remember all of these events or all of these things. You'll be going on vacation sometime this this summer maybe. And you'll see memorial. You'll see uh, things that, that remind us of the past. No, this is, a, this is one of those things in Scripture. Remember Lot's wife. It should be fixed in our mind. And this is a, a warning. And in the context here, just three little words in the Greek. And it's a warning from God. He's talking to His disciples here from Christ Himself. He's talking to His disciples. So they are believers. It's a warning to believers. It's not just the, the, uh, the unbeliever. This is the, to the believer the context here, he's, the subject, is talking about the end times. When Christ comes to judge the world in His second coming, that's the, that's the context. Of, and He says, remember, at that time, and these, you see these things coming. He says, remember Lot's wife. Why does He do that? Out of all the people in the Scripture, I mean, there's Moses, there's, there's Noah, and Abraham and David and Daniel, godly people that and maybe he should have said, remember them. But no, he points to Lot's wife and he says, remember her, remember Lot's wife. Why? Why does he do that? Well, I want us to kind of look at that question today. And we go back to Genesis chapter 19. I want to just rehearse the the uh, the uh, the story leading up to Lot's wife's death. If you'll remember, Lot was living in Sodom. Uh, don't know why he was living there. He had just set his uh, focus on that Jordan Valley, but he, he kept moving towards Sodom, and, and he finds himself living in Sodom. And the Lord sent two angels down to examine that city, to, to verify the wickedness of that city, so that he can destroy that city. And there's evidence. Yes, this city was wicked enough to be destroyed from God above and with supernatural in a supernatural way. And these angels go in. They warn Lot and his wife. And they actually have to remove them, forcefully have to remove them from that city. Lot then begins to, uh, to negotiate. Can we just go to this city? So he negotiates for a city that's a little closer, and he goes to Zor. And the result was that they were, they were getting close to Zor, and it says in verse 36, or verse 26, uh, that then his wife, that's Lot's wife, was behind him, 
looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Now that's pretty sobering. And Christ then says, remember Lot's wife. The question, one of the first questions we have to ask, was she a believer? Was she a believer or an unbeliever? Was she was just a, a wayward believer, not, not really grounded in her faith, maybe a weak believer? Or we, was she fully aware of what she was doing? Did she, um, was she weak in her faith or did she have dead faith? No faith at all. Was this just a, a one-time thing that uh, just abnormal to her, the consistency of her life? Or did this sin reflect the corruption of her heart? Now, that, now we're getting down to examining faith and splitting hairs. Something that you have to do that only you can do. Nobody else can do that for you. So, so we're examining these things. And Christ has done this. And he says, remember Lot's wife. And I think that what you see when you examine her heart is that you'll see an unbelieving heart. I think you'll see an unbelieving, an unbeliever here. Let me give you three reasons here. And this is just kind of pulling together. Number one, uh, the, un, the, the godly theologians that you read put her into the category of an apostate faith. Now that's something that we see in Scripture that we may not be aware of, and we need to be aware of this. This is an apostate faith. This is... This is, these are people who attach themselves to God's people, to the believers, or to Israel in the Old Testament, or the church in the New Testament, but with no heart change. No real heart change. Nothing significant, really, uh, change in their life. These people, they know what to say, they know what to do, but they, uh, and they, they know how to conform to Christian standards. But there's no, they haven't been born again. There's no real conviction in their own heart and in their own life. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, we see that they went out from us because they were not really of us. They just didn't fit in. They were always kind of on the outside. And this is a, a, a phony kind of faith. A faith of a, a, a presumptuous kind of faith. In fact, I, I'll call it a pretend faith. It's pretentious. It's just... It's just faking it, essentially. This is a conforming to Christianity, but it's a, a faith of pretense. The most famous, of course, was, is, uh, is Judas. He, 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 of course, was a, a disciple of Jesus Christ, and he was with Christ for three and a half years. And In fact, the disciples said, um, when, when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray us, not, they didn't all turn and face Judas. Oh, we knew it was going to be him. No, he pretended very well. See, we have Judas. In the Old Testament, we see uh, one interesting character is uh, Elijah's servant um, who called back and said, hey, Elijah wants this extra pair of clothing, if you remember that. In the New Testament, though, I want to bring your attention to, to one. Of course, there's uh, Ananias and Sapphira, um, but there's Demas as well. And I want you to see this in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. It says, in verse, verse 9, I'll pick this up, but be diligent to come to me. This is Paul talking to Timothy. And he says, for Demas, having loved this present age, that's the key. 
Love this present world, you might say, has deserted me. He he had followed Paul, a follower of Paul, disciple of Paul, wanted to be in the ministry like Paul, so he's following Paul around. And when it came down to Paul being on trial, getting ready to... uh, getting ready to present himself before Caesar. Demas gets scared. Demas, for whatever reason, we don't... Well, he does say, having loved this present world. And there's the danger. Having loved this present world. That's scary, folks. Um, what we see is pretense. We see that they could, they could walk away at, at, at any time... It, they're just looking for something to offend them or looking for uh, the, the, a hard road and, and then they're out. So there's a warning here of, of an apostate faith. Number two, number two, that I think this is an unbeliever. This is uh, Lot's wife was an unbeliever because God never sends down his immediate judgment upon his people. Um, upon his people because Christ has taken all of the judgment for his children. Uh, that's a wonderful thought. We are never under the direct wrath of God. When you look in Scripture, God's children are never under the direct wrath of God. It just exposes an unbelieving heart is what it, it reveals. God's wrath is always and only directed toward the unbeliever. They die in their sins. Now, the, the good news for the believer is that Christ took all of that wrath of God for us on the cross. And so therefore, that wrath is never pointed to the believer. Number three, I think this is an unbeliever because because of this passage right here in Luke. Because Christ uses her as a a warning. Don't be like this. This is a, a... an instant judgment coming down from God. This is an apostate faith that Christ warns us about. And again, it's it's not a genuine faith. Genuine faith is at the, the core of a person that demonstrates um, that's demonstrated in the direction of their life. And we'll we need to look more carefully then at Lot's wife. And that's what I want us to do today. This is a warning, a warning from Christ. We need to look at the opposite of of this genuine faith, and that's what we see. And the question I want us to look at, the main question today is, is is, what is it that we are to remember? If Christ said, remember Lot's wife, it's one of the commands from Christ, what is it that we are to remember? There's three things. And I, I want to borrow, I'm essentially borrowing from J.C. Ryle's uh, outline. Not exactly the outline, but it's pretty close to his outline. I'm borrowing it because it can't really be improved upon in, in these three little words, remember Lot's wife. And I would recommend his book to you, Holiness. Um, Holiness of God, or just Holiness, by J.C. Ryle. Uh, he lived probably 150 years ago or so, and, and it's an excellent book to this day. And there's three points that he wants to make that he makes in concerning this. Number one, we want we need to remember the privileges of Lot's wife. The privileges of Lot's wife. Whose wife? Lot's wife. Lot's wife. Now to understand this, we, we need to, to go back to Second Peter chapter two and verse seven. This is 
This was Lot's wife. Lot was a righteous man in verse 7. And if he rescued, that's God rescued righteous Lot. Then he describes this righteous Lot oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. So he was living in Sodom, a, 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 a town where it was just anything goes. And Lot was there and he was trying to live by principles. And he was among unprincipled men, verse 8, by, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. He, he lived in this unrighteous place, an ungodly place, and he was convicted all the time by the sinfulness. Just constantly before him, day after day. That's a, that's a believing heart. Maybe he should have gotten out of that situation, but there was a believing heart. There was conviction there. And it goes on to say, then, if, if that's the case, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. And that's a great verse, a verse that we need to hang on to. But just think about that. Lot was, Lot's wife was exposed to the truth. She, she was exposed to this the true and living God. She was exposed to, to godly examples. She knew of Abraham. In fact, she may have been there when Abraham first received this promise from God and God told Abraham to move. She may have been there. She certainly would have known about the story of Catalamar, uh, who this king came and uh, captured Lot and, and probably his family. Maybe she was there with them. And Abraham swoops in and rescues them. She was probably there when uh, the, the king of Sodom and maybe heard the king of Sodom say, Hey, Abraham, you take all of the goods and just leave the people with me. And Abraham says, No, I will not take anything from you. She saw a godly example of in, in Abraham right there within her own family. She had a front row seat to truth and a godly example. She saw Abraham's offering to Melchizedek, the high priest at that day. And she was on the receiving end of Abraham's prayer, remember? When Abraham prayed to God. And she saw even the miracles that these two angels, when they struck the men around the house and she they spared Abraham's family or uh, Lot's family and they struck them blind. She saw the power of sin and the wickedness of that city when they were groping for the door trying to get in. This is sobering stuff. She saw the grace of God with those two angels grabbing them by the arm and, and pulling them out of the city. That, that was the grace of God firsthand. She saw that. She was exposed to these, these truths. But it's a dangerous thing to be exposed to light, to knowledge, to truth, the godly truth, the spiritual truth. J.C. Rowe says, uh, what good effect had all of these privileges on the heart of Lot's wife? None at all. None at all. There was not a whole lot of, of spiritual truth and spiritual examples in her day. And she was right at the forefront of Abraham and this life of faith that he was, he was living. And what good did it do? None. No good at all. The, all of the special graces, the spiritual life that, that she was a part of, it, it did her no good. He goes on to say, J.C. Ryle goes on to say, the eyes of her understanding were never open. 
Her conscience was never really aroused or, or quickened. Her will was never really brought into state, into the state of obedience to God. She conformed to her husband's way of life, but it probably wasn't her way of life. And so, in the state in which she lived, she died. That's sobering. That's sobering. So Christ warns us, remember Lot's wife, remember the privileges that she had. She's probably just a, a professing believer, professing, uh, she was exposed to the truth. She was exposed to the godly examples. She was exposed to the grace community. She was in that life of, 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 of graciousness. But she was never really changed. So we, we, ha- we need to remember that. And let me just quickly apri- apply this real quick to our, our lives here. It's not as though she had genuine faith and then lost it. D- don't think like that. That's not apostate faith. Apostate faith is never really having this faith, or it's a, a vain faith. It was in the wrong object, or it was a, a, a dead faith. It never produced. There was no real heart change, no true change in her life. So it wasn't that she lost her salvation. She never really had that salvation. So we need to keep that in mind. Number two, just be aware, folks, the more knowledge that you have, from Scripture, the more spiritual uh, examples that you have in your life, the more spiritual light, the more spiritual heat is going to have its effect. And there's two effects. And, and I like J.C. Ryle again. The, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. The condition of the heart is going to tell the, the, the difference there. He goes on, the same, same sun that makes the living tree grow dries up the dead tree man that's pretty sobering we have to be very very careful being exposed to all of the spiritual truth that we're exposed to because it's either going to melt our hearts it's going to humble us or it's going to harden our hearts and that's a dangerous state to be in so hanging around good people Going to conferences, memorizing verses and scripture, reading your Bible every day, never missing church. Those are good things, but that does not save us. That doesn't save us at all. Whether it's uh, people on the fringe or people right in the heart of things, it doesn't save us. It doesn't, it's a, it's a place of privilege, place of spiritual privilege, but it doesn't save us. It will not save us. Lot's wife, we have to remember, she was in a place of privilege, spiritual privilege. Number two, how about the sin of Lot's wife? We need to remember the sin of Lot's wife. All it says is she looked back. And you look at the passage, then his wife from behind him, she looked back. And this, this wasn't a great sin. This wasn't murder. This wasn't adultery. This wasn't a, a grand theft. This wasn't leading some kind of rebellion or anything like that. It was just a, just a look. And why would, you have to ask, why would God judge her for this? I mean, this one little thing. Maybe she was just stumbling and looked back. Maybe she was just curious and looked back. Maybe she just heard the noise of, of destruction behind her and just looked back in reaction. But you know what? We can play that game, but we know. God knows the heart. No one can excuse this away. 
God is a good judge. He is a righteous judge. And he knows, he knew the heart. And we can't accuse God for this. God is a good judge and he did the right thing here. Just like that one little bite from Eve of the fruit in the garden. Just because it's a little sin doesn't mean it's insignificant. It was a little sin. A little sin. But this little sin, this little look, it revealed a whole lot about her heart. So let's look at these. There's four things that I want you to see. This, uh, this one little sin, this little look, it revealed the, the true character of her heart. It's kind of like a symptom in a disease. How, how do you know if you, you have cancer? There's little symptoms that we look for, isn't it? If you have some disease, it's going to show itself in some way. Maybe a cough or a sore or an ache. Or just a little spot. Um, it was interesting. You watch the PGA. You, uh, these, these guys will just pick up a, a few pieces of grass and let them fall to the ground. And, and it tests which way the wind's blowing, right? Just a little thing. But it indicates a pretty, pretty important thing. And that's what's going on. We just check our, check our temperature and we can see what's going on in the body. See if there's something wrong here. And so this little, little look, this little sin, it reveals the rotten condition of the sinful heart. It's sobering. It's sobering. And Jesus said just a, a little lust there exposes a heart of adultery, doesn't he? In Matthew chapter 5. And number two, this little look, it tells of a, a rebellious disobedient heart a rebellious disobedient heart we go back and, and look at this passage 19 chapter 19 verse 17 it says now it happened when when they were brought outside the, the city one of them this is one of the angels said escape for your life do not look behind you and do not stay anywhere in the valley escape for the mountains or you'll be swept away Again, it's a sobering, sobering thing. He says, do not look back. You know, Lot and his wife hesitated, but only Lot's wife was disobedient. She had a disobedient heart. She was told one thing. She was told this. Do not look back. And she looked back. It was a disobedient heart. It was the sin of rebellion. And we see in 1 Samuel 15, that the sin of rebellion is the same as witchcraft. It's very sobering. We cannot take one little sin, uh, we cannot minimize one little sin. It also, number three, it also reveals and uncovers a proud, unbelieving heart. Do, do you think maybe she didn't believe God? No, nah, God would never destroy a city. There, there had to be some unbelief, I believe. Some, some doubting. Maybe God will, He'll never do that. Without faith, without believing God, it is impossible to please God. And that, that moment revealed probably an unbelieving heart. Ah, oh, God's not going to do that. And then number four, it exposes it. And this is, I think, the key. This exposes the, the love of the world. The love of the world. Now, I think we, we need to... This is, this is Peter here. I, I think we need to drill down here. This is important. Because her... Uh, her heart was still in Sodom. She had never detached herself from Sodom. Right? So look back at the passage, Luke chapter 17. And look at the very next verse, what Christ says. He says, remember Lot's wife, verse 20, or 32. In verse 33, he says, 
Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. Now, what's going on? He's giving us an explanation of Lot's wife's situation. She was still trying to hang on. Even if it was just a look, hang on to that world, hang on to that life that she was about to lose and it was being ripped from her and she, she wanted to hang on to that life. And whoever hangs on to that life, whoever uh, grasps, wants to keep that life, he's going to lose that life. Whoever loses that life, who says, just like Ruth, remember Ruth, she just forsake that old life, didn't even question that. She found the truth and she was pursuing that. This is just the opposite of, of what Ruth was doing. I'm sorry, the, the opposite, yeah, the opposite of what Ruth was doing. And the opposite of, Ruth is just the opposite of Lot's wife here. James 4, verse 4 says, Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Now think about that. We live in a day that doesn't believe that. The Christian church is not told that. Friendship with the world, you're making yourself out to be an enemy of God. Very sobering. First John chapter 2, verse 15 says, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You love the world, you want to hang on to the world, the love of the Father is not in you. You have not been changed. There's no heart change there. I think one of the most significant verses, though, is the teaching of Christ in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. It says this, If anyone comes to me, And does not, this is strong language, does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sister. And yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. You cannot hang on to anything in this world. I want it all. Even his own life. You cannot be my disciple. That's That's strong language. He's not calling us to be in a monastery, to be monks and to escape from the world. No, he's talking about priorities. Everything else uh, is secondary in priority compared to Christ. And so you, you, the, the angels grab Lot's wife. They take them out of the city. They rescue them. But Lot's, affe- Lot's wife affection, her heart condition... All the things that she loved was back there. She never detached herself. Her eyes uh, turned to the place where her treasure really was. It's like a compass, isn't it? That compass is always going to point north. Our heart's always going to point to where the treasure is. That's what Christ said. Where your treasure is, there's where your heart is also going to be. And folks, until we hate Sin until we hate this world, until we give up this world, the love for Christ is, is not going to be sweet. We're not going to love Christ like we should. Lot's wife was destroyed. John MacArthur says in his uh, commentary, Lot's wife was destroyed the very threshold on the very threshold of deliverance. Her attention to Sodom was so powerful that she delayed and looked back. She was overwhelmed by uh, oncoming judgment and just reaching the place of, before just reaching the place of safety. R.C. Sproul says that the selfless and self-affirming life means spiritual 
death. You want to hang on to this life? You're going to lose it, ultimately. That's pretty sobering. It's pretty sobering. In the context here, I just want to remind us of Luke chapter 17, the context here, Jesus is talking again to, to his disciples and he says when he comes back and the Son of Man comes back, he's going to judge the earth and there's going to be those who are trying to hang on to this life and, and try to claim or attach themselves to the church. They're going to lose their, they're going to lose their life. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it and whoever Loses his life will preserve it. You, you give up your life. You forsake your life to follow Christ. And you're going you're gonna to gain your life. If you uh, hang on to this life, this world, all it has to offer, you're going you're gonna to lose this wife and, or your life. And, and Lot's wife is a good example of that. And so Christ says, remember Lot's wife. Very sobering. And my fear folks, is today we've got a whole Christianity that, that thinks it's okay to love the world. Oh, I'm just one of those Christians that, that have both. Hanging on the, the church with right hand and with the left hand hanging on to the world. And it cannot be done. It, it cannot be done in Scripture. It, it's, not a, it's not a genuine, true, believing faith. It's a pretending faith. That's, I think that's what you see. And I think that's why Christ is saying, remember Lot's wife. It's a warning. Number three. And so notice the, the severe punishment of Lot's wife. Punishment. The judgment of Lot's wife. Verse, if you go back to Genesis 19. It says she was turned into a pillar of salt. She became a pillar of salt. Now folks, there's many ways to die, Right? Many ways to die. We, we always ask the question, how did they die? Um, it's one thing to die in your bed uh, with friends by your side in a quiet, peaceful place. My grandmother died in her sleep. Just woke up one morning and, and she was dead in her own bed. And it was a wonderful way to, to go. She knew the Lord. She loved the Lord. as a dying in peace. But this is not one of those ways. This is not a good way to die. This is dying in her sins, in the very act of her sin. And she was judged by the Lord. This is, it was a miracle, isn't it? I mean, this doesn't happen. God did this on purpose. This was, this was a judgment on a guilty woman. She died the very act of sin. She she died the way she lived, in her sins. And what's bad? If, if you're Lot, how do you explain this to your daughters? You know, it's really hard as a pastor to, to do a funeral of an unsaved person. Because there, there's no hope that you can offer to that family. There's no comfort, really. Her death is an example for us. And Christ set it up to be an example for us. I mean, who dies this way? It's such a unique way that Christ didn't even have to explain it, did He? He just said, remember Lot's wife. And we already know. We've heard the story. This is so profound, so unique, such a miracle that was from God. God's judgment we see here. And she died a graceless way, a godless way, an unbelieving heart. 
without faith, trying to hang on to the world, double-minded. She died in her sins, and she wakes up in hell. Sobering. Christ says, remember Lot's wife. Now, for the believer, folks, we can take comfort. Now, for the the double-minded, those who are trying to hang on, this is a warning. This is is sobering, but for this, for those who are are believers, this is a wonderful thing. This is a wonderful reminder that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we can sing, it is well with my soul. What a wonderful song that we just, that we just sang. So you see Lot's wife here and Christ reminding us to, to remember Lot's wife. This pretense of faith, this, this apostate kind of faith. It's an attachment to the Christian community or to the believing community. It's just pretend, kind of a loose attachment. But, but it exposes a heart condition that loves the world and is trying to hang on to the world. And she died as an unbeliever. She's trying to straddle the fence. There's no straddling the fence. It's just you die as an unbeliever. You hang on to that world. You become friends with that world. You want to hang on to that world. You're going to die as an unbeliever. There's no hanging on. Genuine faith is the very core of who we are. And it will determine, it will show the direction of your life. Here, You can pretend all you want, but at the, the very last, or, that heart will be exposed at some point. There will be evidence of that heart. At some point, she should have examined her heart. No evidence, no faith. No faith, no salvation. And I have to ask the question, how is your faith? How's your faith? When you examine your heart, is it true faith? Do you see evidence? Do you see growth? Do you see a love for God? A love for God's people? A love for God's word? A love for God's business? And then, can you sing? Can you sing when trials like sea billows roll? Whatever my lot, you have taught me to say what? It is well with my soul. That's confidence. That's a faith that I don't care about this world anymore. I'd rather just follow Christ and Christ alone. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this warning. Lord, it's a, it's a sobering thing to think about. It's, it's hard for us to, to imagine that there's people that attach themselves to the church that are not really genuinely changed. No heart change. And it's sobering. It's, it's scary. But, Lord, your, your exhortation then becomes at the forefront of our mind to remember Lot's wife. We have to keep that in our mind lest we, lest we turn away. Lord, help us to forsake all and follow you. Help us help everything else to be just paled in comparison to you. Lord, I pray your work in our heart. I thank you for your word and exposing us to the truth. What a wonderful thing truth is. What a wonderful thing the, the, the community of grace is that we have. But Lord, for those who are just playing, it's a sobering thing. And, and I pray, Lord, I, I know that I'm talking, speaking to the choir here. I know these people love you. What a wonderful thing to be a part of this church. But Lord, 
Help us to remember there's a world out there that's playing Christianity. And Lord, help us to examine ourselves and, and know and have genuine faith. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.